Hi, this is Chris, host of A Couple of Drips. Just before we start, I wanted to say a quick word about our subscribers' memberships. If you'd like to help support future episodes, you can subscribe to the show for a few pounds a month. This will help fund production, coffee and guest expenses. Simply click on the support button in the episode description. Cheers and enjoy the show. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Grab a cup, settle in, and turn it up. It's time for a couple of Drips mental health special. Please welcome your host, bringing the issues to the table and hoping to perk you up, it's Chris Granger. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the mental health specials. It's ladies' night tonight. Uh, We've got two of my very good friends uh, and two mental health professionals here to juxtapose when we have the, the lads in who were mental health service users. Please welcome my very good friends, Tanya Morgan and Harriet Summerfield. Hello, both of you. Hello. How are you both? Okay, thank you. That was beautiful stereo there, both of you, (laughs) coming in like that. If we sound a bit different today, it's because we've got three people we're recording in the kitchen rather than in the studio, and it's a little bit more echoey, so you'll have to uh, forgive us for that, and there might be the odd bit of traffic noise because it's not as sound insulated, but I think we'll get by. So I'll turn to you first of all, Tanya. Um, Tell us what you you do and what your relationship to mental health is. Okay, um, I'm I'm a psychotherapeutic counsellor, by, by trade, but I also am a specialist mental health mentor and work with a lot of university students. And um, I also do a little bit, little bit of life coaching. So I've been doing this probably for about six years, something like that. And love it. Absolutely love it. And Harriet? Yeah, I'm a psychotherapist and counsellor. I've got a base in Stone and also in Newcastle under Lyme. Also work with clients on Zoom or telephone and also outdoors um, for walk and talk sessions. That's very interesting. Tell us a little bit more about about the walk and talk. That's that sounds like an interesting area. Yeah, it's I I absolutely love it. I, I'm very passionate about it, and the 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 people that have chosen to do it in my experience, are, are usually quite passionate about the outdoors and being in nature. So it's something that really fits with them. Um, and it's it's a wonderful way to work outdoors yeah. with, with people. I imagine it feels a lot more relaxed than a formal environment where you're in an office. And... Yeah, I think you have to be mindful of not being too informal ah, because... Yeah. It, you know, it, it would be easy to think, am I going for a walk with a friend? Like, yeah, I might do because yeah. I'm walking side by side. Yeah. So I think sometimes I do have to be mindful that this this person isn't 
a friend. They're mm. someone that I'm working with therapeutically. Yeah. But it certainly does offer a different dynamic. So that presents you with a challenge as well as, as the person receiving the therapy, I guess. It, it can be a challenge, you know, the sort of unpredictability of being mm-hmm. outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for instance, we came across uh, one time a, a dog that was lost mm. when we were outdoors. So, you, you know, that sort of brought issues up for the person that I was with sure. in terms of sense of responsibility. You know, mm-hmm. what, what do we mm-hmm. do with this scenario? Yeah. And and we had to sort of work things out together in terms of how how we were going to handle that. So, but you know, for some people, I think they really like not having to have intense eye contact because you're yeah. walking side by side. Yeah, um, that's that's a good point. For, for some people, the the distractions of nature and mm. the unpredictability of nature can be really helpful. So when people might feel very overwhelmed with, say, talking about trauma or talking about, say, loss or, a, you know, a bereavement. The, the idea that, you know, a bird could swoop by mm. and, and sort of regulate them and, mm. and help them not feel totally overwhelmed by the emotions that they might be experiencing. For mm. some people, that can be really, really helpful. Yeah, that's really interesting. And Tanya, where does your rum kind of, kind of fit? Because I know you, you work... At universities, but you also work independently as well. What what sort of things do you encounter, and where do you see yourself fitting in with, with a person's mental health okay. voyage, as it were? So, um, with pre-pandemic, I used to go into the universities and and talk with the young people there, but the pandemic came along, and and I thought, oh my goodness me, that's it, my life's over, and I'm never going to be able to do therapy again, and and how am I going to get a connection, therapeutic connection with people? And I, and I have been very pleasantly surprised. Mm. And what I do is I speak regularly with the, um, the people I am working with, predominantly university students, and from the comfort of their own homes or their own environments, they will talk about what's going on with them. I come across students who have a lot of anxiety, depression. Also, there are quite a few students I work with who are autistic or on the autistic spectrum. So mm. it's about emotional regulation and organisational skills and things like that. So it's a real broad spectrum of people that I deal with. I have people that I talk to who are um, who are bipolar. They have they are have psychosis so it's a real hodgepodge of things and I think it's about developing a connection with people and and allowing they're allowing you into their space because Mm. you're looking into their room and and they they're opening up about things that are very personal to them and they are um, giving you access to their their worst thoughts feelings and emotions or what's going on inside of them and and it's it's quite a privilege to for people to really really be very open and honest with you, mm. and and I do have a lot of young people, and luckily not that many who live with suicidal ideation, mm. and and being able to talk about that um, seems to help them to to regulate their moods and stuff. Yeah. Also, I come across a lot of people who will self harm, and again talking about that sort of thing. And, and not judging, not judging people for doing things. So it's yeah. a very w- rewarding experience, exhausting at times, but yeah. it is rewarding. Yeah. And Harriet was saying about how people can be more relaxed in a, in a non-formal environment. You're talking to a lot of people in their own homes on, on kind of Zoom calls and things Absolutely, like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Do, and you find that, that 
removes a barrier as well. It absolutely does. First of all, they don't have to. Say, for instance, somebody's having a really bad mental, what I call a, a bad mental health day. Their anxieties are high, their mood's low. They can quite easily just sit up in bed if they should wish to mm. and just talk on a Teams call to yeah. me. And I'll say things like, well, you know, have you had anything to eat this morning? Well, no, I haven't. A lot of them are on medication, quite strong. Med- have you had your medication? Well, no, I haven't. Have you had a sh- No, you know, I haven't. So I'll talk mm. through. I'll say, right, okay, go and get yourself a glass of water or a cup of tea mm. and a biscuit and, and take your medication and then, then we'll, we'll start. Yeah. So it kind of helps them to get their day rolling. Yeah. And talking about things that they don't want to talk to a, their parents about or their peers because sure. they don't want to f- appear to be weak. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's, I love it, absolutely love mm. it, and it works. Do, it do really either works. of you find that there is a certain group of people that that doesn't work for, that they want the conventional face-to-face? Yeah, d- definitely. I, I, you know, going into private practice um, at a point in the pandemic when face-to-face hadn't been really an option for many, many people, you know, online sessions, mm-hmm. telephone sessions... Mm-hmm. Outdoor sessions were the only real options during significant parts of the pandemic. So I, I, I was unsure, you know, what the demand for face-to-face in a room was going to be mm. further down the pandemic. But I've been surprised, actually, that there is that demand there. And it's it's probably a greater demand than I was expecting it to be. Whether people have sort of gone back to default ways of sort of operating. But, you know, having those choices there for people, I think, is really important. Just just on the, the online aspect, um, Tanya, as you were saying, I think there's... I, I don't know if you've experienced this as well, but I, I think sometimes because people can be so familiar with working online on Zoom or Teams or whatever, that there's potential for the disinhibition effect, that people sometimes might sort of overshare things too early about themselves that then may feel a bit uncomfortable about. So it's, you know, for me... the you know, this isn't with everyone that I work with, but sometimes it's just being mindful of that as well. I would agree with that. Um, I do have <clears throat> people who share a lot very quickly. Um, and if they do share something that is quite heavy, mm-hmm. at the end of the session I'll say, I'd like to thank you for trusting me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you've been very brave to, to say that. Mm-hmm. And and you know are you okay and just do all of the, the normal checks mm. and and i think if if i by doing that i'm i'm helping them mm. to come to terms with what they are um what the, the what's going on inside and so although i under, i see where you're coming from for me it's the opposite mm-hmm. if, if they get in there and come out with significant things to start with it's like a big relief for them. It's like them sort of like, mm. that feels so much better. And then we can move on from there. Mm. But I do check in with them afterwards. It's slightly different to pure counselling, the mentoring mm. side, is that if, if somebody's disclosed to me, for instance, if somebody has disclosed to me that um, they were abused as a child, for instance, um, and they'll talk about it and I'll say, well, that was obviously very um big thing for you to talk about and no child that should happen to no child just check with them check that they're okay um i will also signpost them to specialist organizations mm. who deal with things mm. like that 
And then maybe the day after, a couple of days later, I'll just send them a quick WhatsApp, you know, just checking in on you. Are you okay? What's going on? Yeah, that's great. Well, before it gets cold, shall we uh, do the coffee? All together Okay, so Tanya, what are we drinking? I need to get my glasses, I can't see. <laughs> Harrods glasses as well, I just... <laughs> They're not Harrods glasses. <laughs> it's a mucky Harrods glass. <laughs> Packed coffee. Des- You're asking a dyslexic to say that. Yeah, absolutely. La Desgressa Espresso, it's an espresso. Okay. How do I say that? Pedregosa. <laughs> La Pedregosa Espresso. It's a micro lot, a uh, light roast from, from Pack Subscription. And it's supposed to have hints of, well, I'll, I'll, I won't tell you what it's supposed to have hints of. We'll taste it first and you can see if, it, see if you can taste hints of. So give it a slurp and, and to give it a good taste, mm-hmm. get some air in there so that you, you um, mix the coffee with air, the taste buds. So the way to do that is just thoroughly yeah, spray it. You have to do the, do the, the slurp. <laughs> Preferably not dribble it all down yourself. I tell my son off for doing that when he was little. (laughs) That just means you get air in there. So when it's hitting the tongue, it's hitting all of the tongue at once, but also it's oxygenising it. Like you do with, you know, when you open a bowl of red wine and you need to stand it for half an hour before the taste develops. Mm. Now, I know Harriet's done a coffee tasting before because she's Jamie's wife, who we've had on previously. And uh, fellow coffee fiend, fellow course, coffee yeah. fiend who, who was in last <laughs> night doing a, sh- doing a special actually <laughs> with a Jamaican Blue Mountain. But um, you and Jamie did the world's biggest coffee tasting, and that was how yeah. you got into coffee tasting, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was a fun experience, actually. Yeah. It was one of those things that you never would have done before, but because yeah. of the pandemic and you couldn't Absolutely. do anything else, there was no cafes, shops open. Yeah, yeah we did that, yeah. and it was a re- really fun thing to do. I actually. mean, Kelly, my partner's not a coffee drinker, but she even did it with me because yeah. there's so little going on yeah. at the time, you know. But yeah, I, I mean, I've always been a tea drinker, proper mm. tea drinker, but I, you know, I, I can see the benefits of coffee as well now. Yeah. You know? So yeah. you know, in your jingle earlier when it said, "and it's better than tea," well, you know, yeah. I'm with you on that one. It's, I'm, on the, it's, I, I'm it's a tea de- drinker. It's debatable, is it? There's it's a debatable. story I'll tell you off mic about that jingle, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. No. So, what do you think of this this one? Because because you've definitely got. I know you've definitely got the taste for coffee because mm. Jamie gave me full notes from the coffee day of which you liked and what your favourite was and what you got. Is out there of a them. bit of blackcurrant? Okay. Does it? It doesn't taste chocolatey. It's quite light, isn't it? Okay. What about you, Tony? Can you get anything from it or just coffee? Just coffee. Just coffee. <laughs> Sorry. No aftertaste, no fruity aftertaste. Let me have a little or... go. Okay. It's definitely fruited there, isn't there? Mm. I was thinking black, black orangey. It's quite, yeah, fruit is quite common with a with a sort of mm. light roast. The tasting notes say cherries, plum and lemon. Mm. Citrusy and yes. dark fruity. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. There we go. So um, what do you think? Would you, marks out of ten... Very, very nice. I, I think my I think Would my be one you'd, difficulty you'd with 
coffee is I'm so used to drinking tea when it's almost scaldingly hot that I've had to learn to not better. drink coffee when it's mm. scaldingly hot. Yeah, so about 68 is about <laughs> yeah. 68 degrees yeah. is about right. Yeah, to drink coffee and yeah. have have changed from drinking coffee with milk to drinking it black, and mm. I, you know, am perfectly happy drinking it black now. Yeah, yeah. It took me a while to adjust, but that when you realise that... Uh, I mean, the, the thing on the fridge says it all, really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't ask for cream or sugar. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, the, the thing is, once you start drinking artisan coffees, you, mm. you can't taste the subtle differences if you start yeah. putting milk and sugar in it. So I, I have... Um, I've stopped drinking caffeine after midday to kind of help with my sleep, generally. Right. Yeah. Today's obviously an exception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But occasionally I've You'll found... You'll be texting me at three in the morning going, it's your fault. <laughs> I've found, <laughs> found a really good decaf. Oh, right. Where, where apparently they don't strip the chemicals out like they do in some others mm-hmm. at Clover Cafe in town. Oh, nice. And I've not I tried re- their coffee, well, I must admit. Please try their decaf. I know you're yeah. probably not a decaf person, but it, yeah. it's really, really good. Well, Dave bought round on the special oh, show yes. last night. Dave bought round some decaf he's got from work. And mm. there's two ways of making a decaf. One is with um, you put solvents in and it dissolves mm. all the caffeine, which is what, what you're talking yes. about. And that's not very good because you get a little bit of solvent left in the coffee. Which is not, it's not great. But the more expensive process is the Swiss water decaf, which is where it's filtered through water. And it, it doesn't take all of the caffeine out because you, you can't completely dissolve all of the caffeine unless mm. you use solvent. But it takes the majority of it out, but there's no chemicals involved. Mm. So that's the, the better process. It's like point point one mm. one of percent of, mm. of caffeine left in it. So. Yeah. That's um, but I haven't tried that yet. But um, it's full enough now. I drink that. You you would drink, I would drink that. It, yes. yeah. It's very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Okay. Uh, we'll move on now. One of the topics that we mentioned was lockdown. What kind of problems did you sort of encounter during lockdown? What what sort of things did you come across during lockdown that mental health issues that perhaps hadn't arisen before either of you? I think people's anxiety went through the roof. Mm. I think um, the the daily news read, the, the daily broadcasts about what was happening in the country and and how many people were dying and stuff that really triggered quite a number of health anxieties. And I also found that people who were, had a propensity towards agoraphobia became even more agoraphobic than before. I'll put my hand up and admit to that one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. and and it it, it just for a lot of people it was a scary time because they were told they were going to die mm. and often when we're faced with the potential of our own mortalities it is a scary prospect yeah i i would certainly say that my anxiety about going outside grew a lot i mean i, I didn't see my partner for seven weeks because we and, until boris talked about the bubble my mum was on chemotherapy at the time and her mum has dementia so we didn't want to put either of them mm. in, in jeopardy kind of thing. Mm. So, but then certainly, you'll remember this, Tanya, but when they, we had a meeting and they said, do you want to return to face-to-face work in the building? I was like, no, no. <laughs> absolutely not. Yeah, no. me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
selfishly because you can see more more students and you can make more money if you're not waiting in cold corridors and things but we we never had a permanent office base so we were always sitting in the foyer of the library mm. i remember when the pandemic first started it took a week for the university to kind of close and i must have walked past three thousand students in that week sitting yeah. in that foyer you yeah. know i had a little cough i don't know whether it was covid but i was certainly ill the week after it was before you could get the tests and everything as well but did we want to return to that well for me it was an it was a no partly because you can see more students if you're doing it virtually but secondly as well uh, my my gran was very agoraphobic and i've definitely inherited that if i can stay at home and not go out you know what someone say to me what's your perfect holiday destination i would say having two weeks at home and not having to go anywhere you mm. know it's mm. um i do travel i have traveled and i forced myself to do it but i do mm. have to force myself to do it and certainly being locked in for seven weeks the idea of then going out and when i went on walks when you bumped into people it wasn't just because they may have the virus or whatever but it was just oh it's far too people out here you know mm. i certainly felt a lot of that that anxiety that that's just um sort of triggered something within me i was talking to somebody the other day and um they they struggle with crowds and are very anxious and they were going to, I don't know, somewhere by the seaside, say, so let's say Rill, for instance, they're going to seaside, and they said, well, I'm really not sure if, if I can cope with the crowds. I'm not sure. I think I'll just stay by the caravan. I said, no, 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 you will go, and you will mix with the crowds because you're with your family and those people that you're comfortable mm. with. Because when you return to the university environment in, in October, there will be a lot of people there. Mm. And, and I think you need to start integrating and, and mixing with people. If you feel uncomfortable, just walk away. Just go and find yeah. a quiet spot. Mm. Uh, I, I think as well, you know, some people whose, whose jobs suddenly became working from home during the pandemic, uh, you know, over many, many months, years, have sort of got potentially trapped in a routine that's not very healthy, though, mm. because... Everything's so convenient being online, isn't it? If you're on Teams, you're potentially accessible all the time. You, you don't have that social contact that you might have if you were working in an office, you know, bumping into colleagues, mm. having a chat whilst making a cup of tea, you know, stretching your legs, literally walking around, you know, maybe popping out to to fetch a sandwich or, you know, do some shopping at, in your break. I think for some people that has meant that working at home, they felt increasingly isolated because that little bit of social contact that they might have had in a working day has been completely stripped out. And also the, I think sometimes there's a, there's a feeling like I'm chained to my desk and this, mm. this screen and, you know, can I leave the house? You know, am I allowed to leave the house? Is that, I, I shouldn't be doing that. It's, these are my working hours. People can't stare at a screen for eight hours no. without it affecting their eyesight or their mental health, yeah. actually. Yeah, that, definitely. That's interesting. When, when we first started on the, um, the video, my eyes would water, really, really water. Oh, really? So when, yeah, it was terrible, really tired eyes. So I ended up when we could go to the opticians and and they gave me some some glasses that sort of for distance for a screen mm. and for reading it's the way they're not bifocals but not mm. quite but just to um sort of talk about getting out of the house from a personal perspective um i make myself have a, a routine every day mm -hmm. and i sort of get myself up dressed and all the rest of it in the morning and i've got a little dog so 
I take the dog to the, to for a walk. So I'm walking to work every morning. So taking the dog for a walk is me walking oh, to nice. work. Yeah. Good. And then at the end of the day, my routine is, come on, we're going to go for a walk. And then I'm walking home, home from, from work. work. Yeah. So that forms part of my routine. Mm. And it seems to work for me. Mm. And also, for me, dressing for work. Um, I've mm. always got dressed for work, wearing a dress or something like mm. that. I do have dressed down Fridays sometimes, but... You know, that, that helped me. Mm-hmm. And I would always encourage people during the pandemic, and even now, mm. get into a routine. Yeah. You know, get into a routine. Decide that you're going to wake up within a time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, do what you need to do within that time frame. Yeah. But incorporated in that, there has to be some sort of outside activity. Yeah. More fresh air. Yes, definitely. And, you know, I encourage people as well to have, to try and have some routine discipline around technology as well you know so if you're working at home make sure when you've finished your work that your laptop's out of sight mm-hmm. that it, you know mm-hmm. put it in a drawer you know yeah. don't have it out on the kitchen table so you try gonna, and work you're in a different room if you can yeah, yeah. If, you, yeah. if you can yeah. work in a different room not everyone had sort of the ability to do sure, that sure. In, in the pandemic some people were working on their beds weren't they you know yeah. because there was literally children in the house there was there was no spare room <laughs> you know it was it was a very very challenging time i think for a lot of people and the world outside has felt quite scary mm. for many people and and it's been a, a great source of anxiety yeah i think the ritual thing is a very positive action um i certainly have a, a kind of work ritual I, I wish it was walking around the block but unfortunately it isn't but it's brewing the coffee in the morning mm. uh making the coffee in the morning before work you know making sure i've got the coffee ready for the time and the process of making coffee itself is somewhat of a ritual for me mm. and that's kind of the one thing that that through lockdown was thing that i would always make the coffee and i would always make it between sort of 10 and 11 in the morning Mm. and it would always be and that was that was the one bit of ritual or the one bit of routine Mm. i should say that i did have yeah during the pandemic and that kind of you do need that ritual because there is the danger of falling into kind of strange sleep patterns and you know just a groundhog day as well you know everything becoming and to stay in your pajamas all day, it's easy well, to stay yeah. in your pajamas all exactly. day. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. With with a lot of the young people that um, I work with, they I'll be talking to them and they'll be in their jimmy jammies, and I'll say, "Well, look, I don't mind if you put another clean pair of pajamas on, but get yourself up, dressed, showered, changed. Put a clean pair of pajamas on, but just change. Yeah. Just get that change in in place." Mm. I yeah. think it's about sometimes the the boundaries can become very blurred, can't they? And work and home mm. can become very much one, and that's not yeah. good for your mental health no. because you no. don't have that differentiation, do you? So yeah, being able to get up, have a shower, put some different clothing on can mm. make a really big difference. Yeah, and there is that danger, and I think it's something that happened a lot through lockdown. Is that if you get that email at seven o'clock, eight o'clock at mm-hmm. night you'll respond to it straight away mm. because you've been working from home all day and you're still at, still at home. You're still in that same environment and you've been responding to emails all day. So why shouldn't you answer one at 7 o'clock, 8 yeah. o'clock, 9 o'clock at night? And that's a danger and it's definitely something I'm guilty of. Mm. And it, it, it's also, you know, if you respond to that email at 7 o'clock at night, 
it then fuels another response. So you're kind of speeding up the communication, Mm -hmm. which actually the world isn't going to end. You know, Mm. that issue could wait. It's not life and death. It could wait till the morning. So, you know... I'm definitely guilty of of doing that. You know, oh, I'll just get this response done. Whereas actually what I should do is just put a flag on the email to remind myself to do it tomorrow, you know. Or just not look at it. Yeah, or just not look at it. Oh, after after a certain time. Terrible, you know, we have the a phone. email comes We have up. a phone that's gone. Yeah, oh. it's got the email on it. And, oh, oh, put the phone in the drawer after a certain <laughs> time. <laughs> Turn it off. <laughs> it, does, it is tempting to do that, I must admit. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think it's, it, it, it's really important for people to be productive at work, to be able to have a break and to have some respite from work, you know, being available, not necessarily 24-7, but being available 12 hours a day or whatever. Yeah. I don't think it's good for your mental health. I think it's really important to have that downtime and respite from it and, and come come at it afresh the next day or, yeah. you know, the following yeah. Monday or, or whenever. Yeah, and you will be fresh and your response will be better. Uh, you know, it'll be more considered. You know, if I fire off an email at 8 o'clock at night or whatever, it's going to be the quickest I can fire off in order to deal with whatever mm. situation or scenario mm. is arising. You know, it won't be like if I'm answering it 10 o'clock on a, on a Monday morning, mm. you know, when kind of I've got time to respond and it's, mm. it's what I allot as my work time rather mm. than invading on my time kind of thing. But there's that thing as well that if you... If you respond at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night, people expect you to always respond at mm. 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock mm. at night. You become, it becomes difficult to switch off, doesn't mm. it? Yeah, definitely. Probably. You were talk, When we were talking about sort of areas in, in the pandemic, like everybody else, I had university students of my own, one upstairs, one in the conservatory, and somebody somewhere else. So I was sort of... In These are your children, I yes, just clarify. Chi- you my children, no, my children. Kidnapped a couple yeah. of university No, no, my, my children, <laughs> my grown-up children. Yeah. And I would be in the sitting room, and at, during the working day, I'd sit in one chair in the sitting room. And then if I was watching television, I would not sit in that chair, I'd sit in a different chair. Yeah. I, I, I'd... Um... I've been reading a book recently um, about meditation and I think it's called Frantic World Meditation. Mm-hmm. And, and they talk about routine and how that's really important to kind of help manage mm. anxiety as well. Mm. But the interesting thing that I've learned is sometimes we can become very constrained by our routines as well. Yeah. So the idea of being able to mix up a routine occasionally, just as an example, say, you know, if you drive from here to, say, Newcastle Mm -hmm. on a regular basis and you always go the same route, Mm -hmm. why not mix it up and go a slightly different route? You Mm -hmm. know, don't go massively out of your way. Go a slightly different route. And because you're going a slightly different route, your brain is becoming more mindful. You're more aware you're not on autopilot, basically. Mm. So it's a more kind of relaxing, therapeutic, meditative experience because you're mixing it up. And also it means that potentially the outside world isn't so scary because you can handle a little bit of change. Mm. Yeah? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And and funny you should say that. When when I take the dog for a walk, I do not go the same way yeah. all the time. I oh. sort of do different, different yeah. routes just for a change. 
And also when I'm encouraging people to get outside, I find out where they're comfortable going to. And some of them might have a park or some of them might be going to the supermarket. And, and I'll say, well, just literally go to the end of the road and back again mm. and then go a little bit further and back again. Or I think to start with, a familiar route mm-hmm. is something that will help with the anxiety. Yeah. yeah. But then afterwards, I completely agree. Mm. But dealing people who have in my experience, significant anxiety, to do any form of meditation triggers their anxiety Mm. because they start, it's like focusing on the breathing and everything. Mm. Well, that for some people just pulls on a full panic attack for some Mm. people. So Mm. it works with some, Mm. but you can do um, what I would call active meditation, which is probably pretty much what you're doing when you're going outside, walking around, looking at the environment, Mm. being mindful of what's going on around you. I think walking yeah. for me during lockdown was the one thing that kind of kept me sane. Mm. You know, um, I, I started I started wanting to do more exercise as well, but I was aware that with everyone in lockdown, I needed to do it. And for, I was guilty of the same thing when I first started it. I was doing the same route every day, and then I realised no, you know, you need to explore. You need to right. You need to have the routine of going to do it. But you don't need to do the same route mm. every single day. You need mm. to kind of vary it for that. Mm. And it did help me a lot during mm. during lockdown, not just with my physical health, but definitely with my mental health. Because even though I found it difficult running into people, the fact that I ran into people means I was getting that contact, which yeah. means it made the agoraphobia slightly slightly yeah. less than it would have been, you know. Yeah. I, I found myself during lockdown that I... I've always enjoyed being out, well, not always, but more recently enjoyed being outdoors. Um, and But I would only really have ever gone for a walk with someone else. Mm. But because of lockdown, I found that I was walking by myself yeah. quite a number of times oh. in a week, and I really enjoyed that. Because, yeah. um, I mean, you can walk. You're like an Olympic walker, aren't well, you? You, not, you do no, some serious routes, some serious distances. <laughs> I look at some of the distances you and Jamie do, and I'm like, wow. Really. But <laughs> what, what I loved, and again, about it being a sort of mindful experience, was particularly in that first lockdown, was places that I had walked regularly, mm. locally, mm. I was much more aware of them. I was much more aware of, you know, certain flowers coming out uh, during yeah. this month and and then they die back and then something else emerges. Um, and I found this brilliant app, which I, I still use now and again, called Seek. Right. So you can take a photograph. And I was suddenly looking at all these weeds on the, on the side <laughs> of country lanes and thinking, oh, I wonder what, what that is. And... You can zoom in on your, your your smartphone, take a photograph of the plant or the creature or whatever, and it will tell you what it is, and it will tell you, you know, where it where it comes from. Is it native to the UK? Is it? And, and it, I found it absolutely fascinating. Brilliant. So now I go for a walk by myself, and I'm much more mindful and think. Oh, yeah, that's, you're noticing that's the environment that, that, around that starts you. Starts yeah. to to bloom in in the so like yeah. um, blackthorn, for instance, is one of the first things that comes into bloom in the spring, and it's probably like February or March. Mm. You know, it's really early, and and it's got such a beautiful little pretty flower. Yeah, I would never have even noticed it before, and now I kind of think I, I clock it. Yeah, I clock it each year. 
Brilliant, brilliant. And there's certainly that is, isn't there? It's so easy to go for a walk, and the walk is the the walk is the focus, and you don't notice what's around you. You know, you don't notice your surroundings, and you don't really take them in, and you don't really get the benefit of it. Mm. Um, but I think I definitely noticed the surroundings a lot more during lockdown. Mm. You know, you you go in the walk, but you're actually looking around because if it's the only time you leave in the house during mm. the day, you you feel like you've got to get something out of it. Mm. You know. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah, did you do much walking over London? Oh, I did, yeah. yeah. With your dog, I guess you <laughs> well, I, did, I did with the dog, but also um, I had some... It, it, I've got some lovely friends in the village I live in, and we did this one walk one day. Obviously, it was just too far, and we, uh, where I live, it, was a th- it ended up being a three-hour walk over hills and far away, and I went to areas that I hadn't seen before, but it was beautiful, absolutely beautiful, and, you know, the, the kids... And I would all go out for a walk of an evening anyway just to get them out of the house too. Mm. So it was nice. Mm. It worked well. Now, I'm just looking at, we've got a, we we did a shared mood board on, um, what's the app called? I've forgotten what My, it is. Myro. Myro, thank you. <laughs> we did a shared mood board on here. And one of the things you've, you've written down, Hattie, is mental health tsunami. Do you like to tell us what you, what you were referring to by that? Yeah, I think probably... Lots of people, whether you worked in mental health or or not, um, you know, and it's across the whole of the healthcare sector, isn't it? That, you know, we're we're coming towards the end of the pandemic now, mm. and and what this is August, isn't it? Twenty twenty two. But we knew two years ago what the impact of two years ago was going to be in the future. So, mm. <clears throat> you know. Um, we, we've touched on it already, haven't we? That, you know, people being sort of isolated at home in a different environment, a very much different way of working and operating, limited access to, to friends and loved ones, mm. um, a complete change in people's social world, yeah. um, pressure on health services, you know, mm. limited funding pre-pandemic to mental health mm, services mm. certainly and and now yeah you know people have greater need of mental health services i think yeah. because of the pandemic and the the implications of it um so you know i think i think we're experiencing that now and you know some of the people that i've come across in the last year or so you know are, are very much young people and, and you'll be the same Tanya, weren't you with the the students that you're working with? 
you know, there's some some very young people that are reaching out for mental health services and mm. I'm, I'm really proud that they are as well because mm. I don't know if a generation ago those young people would necessarily have reached out or whether the services would have been so kind of in the public domain as perhaps they are now. I completely agree. I think that uh, the younger, the, the generation that is around now, uh, the younger ones, they're very, very self-aware. They're very aware of what is their normal and what's not their normal. And um, they're aware of their triggers if they have significant mental health. They're, they're very, th if they've lived with their mental health conditions for such a long time. They know what their triggers are. They know what to do to look after them. And and a lot of them um, are trying their hardest to do stuff for themselves, to help themselves. And unfortunately, a lot of them are being let down by the mental health services mm. because they're underfunded and oversubscribed. Mm. But um, it is, as you say, it's good that they are reaching out. Mm. That leads me on nicely to a question I wanted to ask, actually, which was, do you, do you think that there are more mental health problems nowadays or do you think it's just with the media and it being included in so many areas that we're just more aware of it and more willing to ask for help? I think that there are more people with mental health issues. Yes, mm. there have been people who've had depression and anxiety mm. over the years, mm. but society and life has changed so much. Mm. So we've got things like um, social media. We've got... Um, all of the sort of technology at our fingertips. So we all know what's going on. And I think that puts a pressure. Mm. When when I was younger, if I was going to meet up with friends, I'd say to them, right, I'll meet you at such and such a place at mm. such and such a time. And we'd, we'd do that or we'd use the sort of house phone or stuff like that. Mm. And I think the, the sort of the instant... Um, access to knowing what people are doing, mm. I think is having a negative impact mm. yeah. without question. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think, you know, maybe particularly with young people, because you've got such ready access to, to smartphones and technology that, um, you know, you might have fallen out with someone that day, as, you know, as young people do. Mm. And that's normal, isn't it? But, you know, what would have happened perhaps when I was a teenager, is you'd have had a period of time between then and the next day, maybe a bit of time to calm down, a bit of time to reflect, um, work things out in your head, as, as may the other person. And maybe sometimes you could have started afresh, but I, I think having ready access to a smartphone and social media is sometimes it can add fuel to the fire mm. and... So you know, a falling out earlier in the day can suddenly have escalated in some into something really enormous by midnight because yeah. you've got access to that technology. And I don't think it's just younger people. I think sort of any generation can be badly affected by what they see on social media and mm. and the perceived fun or perfection or whatever mm. is going on out there. And and it, it is a concern. And for also for a lot of young people. They will say, I'm talking to so-and-so. They don't mean they're physically talking mm -hmm. through their, you know, using yeah. their, their mouth. Yeah. They're using their keyboard to talk yeah. to people. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've got friends. I'm talking to my friends. Okay, where are your friends? Are they local? No, they're all over the world. Mm. So mm. it's the, 
the what I call the physical contact and connection where they're actually yeah. sort of walking down the street or sitting on the park bench yakking away it yeah. it happens but not as much and again yeah. we, that gets back to the agoraphobia yeah and do you think the fact that obviously it's a positive thing that the media are more aware of mental health and talking about mental health now. It is easier to ask for help now because it's not sort of stigmatised as it yes, as it used to be. I would agree with that. However, because the mental health services are so stretched, mm. um, and I'm talking about sort of the, the national health services, not private services, for a lot of people, they have to wait a really, really long time mm. to get into some sort of therapy and a lot of the time they're offered group therapy which because they're not very good with people Mm. they'll just sit there and they won't say anything so Uh, it's kind of it's a complicated situation yeah and also I I guess you know NHS mental health services in order to access them you've got to be at a more extreme end of the scale but what about the people in the middle that might Mm. you know if there isn't some support or intervention are they then going to tip into that more extreme end um you know isn't it about sort of preventative services and trying to keep people out of the more intensive expensive Mm. i guess if you're on a waiting list for two years the problem could be a lot worse by Uh, the time you're actually exactly so you know it's 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 really hard i think anyone working in mental health services in the nhs at the moment, you know, it, it's a challenging job. You know, yeah. money's less. You know, time and resources are less. Where where demand is increasing, probably month on month. Yeah, I know the idea for me of seeing in a a group therapy session. I mean, even even uh, you know, kind of the idea of having a a one to one with a therapist. I know, I know that's what you both do. For a living, but I find that that didn't. You know, when my mum died, my my dad and my sister both saw counsellors, but I that didn't feel like it was for me. Mm-hmm. You know, but maybe something like your out and about walking and talking thing. It seems like yeah. maybe it's my problem with it is maybe the formalised yeah situation, the formalised scenario. You know? Or you weren't ready. Or well, you? Oh, or, yeah. Or you well, that's yeah. a very good point, actually. And I think. Readiness is actually very important yeah. because mm. there's some people that are absolutely ready. You know, I've I've had enough of feeling this way and mm. living this way. Mm. I need things to change, and and there's some real motivation with some people. Yeah. Other people, you know, might have had friends, family, people at work say, "Oh, you know, maybe you'd benefit from this kind of thing," and they're you know they're, they're not sure and they're not ready and you know for some people depending on what the the topic is it it can be a really difficult journey to go through and mm. and you have to you have to be prepared to go sort of through some of the difficult things to be able to come out the other side feeling perhaps a bit less burdened and a, a little bit less weighted down by some of those things mm. Yeah, I would agree completely. I think um, therapy isn't for everybody. Mm. It, it's just not. Some people might get comfort in just talking to their mates or, yeah. you know, mm. um, having a cup of coffee with, yeah. with some pals. It, it's not for everybody, but it, it should be available to everybody. And, and my, my bugbear is that it's not. Mm. Mm. And as you, as you said, people are waiting for years. They can wait for years and years and years 
just to talk to somebody. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Kelly said an interesting thing to me after mum died, which was, you're dealing with it very well, to which my response was, no, I'm not dealing with it. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm not dealing with it well, I'm just not dealing with it. I've put it in a pigeonhole. And, yeah, you know, and you know, when I'm working with people that have experienced loss, you know, loss of someone very close to them, you know, I, I often think, you know, grief is something that you can pause Mm. but you can't put it off right. so you know yeah, you, you can press the pause button and, and you can you know people will find a million and one other things to distract themselves and keep busyness oh, is yeah. a really good way of yeah. doing that yeah. but those times when you are more alone with your own thoughts because you can't be busy 24 7 are the times i guess when it's gonna sort of really hit home for you um so but but people have to be ready to to engage with it if if they want to do yeah. that i think the thing with um with with a loss due to um somebody passing is that it's not one of these things that you get over you just learn to live mm. with how you're feeling and the longer period of time that goes on it's still there but it it, it gets a little, little less painful each year as it goes mm. along yeah mm. definitely Mm. One of the things you, you've mentioned to me, Tanya, is the five ways of well-being. Would you, uh, would you like to explain what that is for anyone listening who, who might not be aware of that? Okay, well, the five ways of well-being is, is a fairly simple thing, really. One of them is to stay connected. So stay connected, talking to your friends, your families. And I don't mean just sort of over uh, a video call. Go mm. for a walk, sort of walk outside and stuff like that and converse with people mm. and I think sometimes people don't talk enough they might talk on a computer screen or with text but not talking enough another is be active now I'm not talking about going to the gym and going on the the runner and you know run machine all the rest mm. of it. it's getting outside it can be walking you know speed speed walking or whatever dancing in your kitchen anything you know just do something to get the blood pumping around and also sort of taking notice, look at what's going on around you. So mindfulness, being mindful could be just looking at some flowers and thinking, I really like the colour of that flower, mm. how many different pinks are in it and all the rest of it, or watching a bird swoop down and, and so forth. Also with learning, now a lot of young people going to school, like, I don't want to learn anything, but we can all learn something new, even if it's just sort of going on one of these free online courses mm -hmm. and just learning something, learning a new skill, learning how to knit, learning how to crochet, mm. crafting, drawing, gardening, anything, just Perfect. something different. And also giving. Giving is really important. Helping other people. So it might be that you have a neighbour who doesn't get out very much mm. and just knocking on the door and saying, do you want anything from the shop or anything like that? Mm. Do you think that's about feeling a sense of purpose and, and yeah. about distracting somewhat yes. from your own issues by helping someone else with theirs? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And and then the way you can break it down is you can you can look at what's important to you about the first, first the, the various things of so connecting, being active, taking notice, keep learning, giving. You then um, you know how are you doing? How are you doing it now? So what am I doing now towards that? And what do I need to change towards those things? Mm -hmm. And what will I do next? So let's use, for example, the being active. So what am I doing now? 
I'm, I'm walking. I'm walking around the, uh, the pond where I live. What will I do next? Well, I think I'll go further afield. I'll go a little bit further. I might go up the hill um, and stuff like that. Um, if it's giving, I'm talking to my next-door neighbour. So maybe I want to look at the, the local village or whatever and think, OK, I'll go and pick up some litter or something like that. Just simple things. Mm. Mm. And, and even family, you know, giving things to family, time, mm. checking in on people. Yeah. And again, that follows on from what you were saying about developing a routine. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I, I often talk about, um, you, you know, things that relate to anxiety. Think, and, you know, as, as negative. So isolation can be one. And yeah. then these cross over with, with what you've talked mm-hmm. about as well, you know. So a sense of isolation can be a big cause of anxiety so yeah. get out connect with other people mm. connect with the world yeah um connect with nature um a sense of meaninglessness lack of purpose in someone's life can be a cause of anxiety mm-hmm. so like you've suggested as well find something that's going to give you some meaning some value mm. you know some purpose some Something that's going to kind of boost your own self worth, yeah, um, self esteem. Start a podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah exactly absolutely. why I did it. It, it, yeah. it can be any. It can be anything. You yeah. know, the sort of feeling that you've got a bit of a, a lack of direction. You know, um, yeah. People aren't always going to have clear. Right, I need to be doing this in two years' time or, or whatever. But let's just think about the next few days or the next week. You know what. What, what do you want to kind of get done by yeah. this week? So, yeah, I, I think, that, you know, there's different ways of, of looking at it, but, there's, mm. but encouraging people to connect more, you know, get outside, um, find something that they enjoy doing, which is going to give them a sense of purpose, I think is, is really good at helping people that are struggling with anxiety. I would agree. Talking of anxiety, um, sort of... One of the things that I've noticed dealing with, obviously, a lot of um, people at university, perfectionism mm. is a trigger mm. for a lot of people's anxiety. Mm. And it's, I have to get this absolutely perfect. And mm. if I haven't got it absolutely perfect, I'm going to fail. Mm. And, and, and then that just triggers a whole tsunami of, mm. of um, sort of procrastination and the sort of the inability to function, mm. really. Um, and sometimes it can become really quite problematic. Um, but once we get down to it's okay just to do enough, mm. and when they accept the fact that it's okay to do enough, mm-hmm. then they do better yeah. than enough. Yeah. And particularly people who are very much artistic, a lot of artistic people are, mm-hmm. and those on artistic type of courses, even computing where they have to make... Um, sort of characters and stuff like that. The character has to be perfect, or the drawing has to be perfect. Yeah, yeah. I, I I can identify with that with myself because I think probably in the past I was a bit of a perfectionist, mm. and you know I had to kind of feel like I was going above and beyond. Mm-hmm. But I had a word with myself, mm. <laughs> and, and I've realised that actually. Doing sort of 80, 85% is enough mm. and actually can... Is is anything going to be any better if I spend mm. 
loads more time and a little bit more effort. Yeah, I'll be tinkering around the edges with it probably, mm. but am I going to make it significantly better? Mm. And actually, I sometimes tell myself, right, I'm going to... I'm going to give myself exam conditions to to do this thing, you mm-hmm. know, write whatever or do this job. So I'll set myself like a, a time limit, you know, an arbitrary time limit. Right, I'll give myself an hour and a half to, to do this. And I'll just do what I can in this mm-hmm. time. So I take the pressure off myself because yeah. for me, the idea of spending an entire day writing something fills me with dread. Whereas mm. if I can just do an hour, hour and a half on something... I find I'm probably so much more productive than if I'd spent seven hours on it. Absolutely. Um, And I feel like, you know, I'm free now because I've done my hour and a half. I can move on to the next thing and it's not not stressing me out anymore because I've done what I can within the time that was available. So you've put very clear boundaries in for yourself and I think boundaries are important. One thing that I, Mm. I did want to mention was that um, when people are very, we, have, we sort of talked about anxiety and, and sort of agoraphobia, but depression is something that I come across a lot. I'm sure you do as well. And often, when people are very, very depressed, daily functioning is a challenge. And so, when when we get to talking with people who are sort of challenged in that way, I'll say to them, rather than taking a day at a time, let's take an hour at a time. You know, in that hour. You can get out of bed. You've got out of bed. Give yourself a tick. The next hour, you've gone and had a shower. Give yourself a tick. You've got something to eat. So I think it's about um, not putting too much pressure on people to do everything at once. It has to be done in stages. Yeah. Or it becomes very, very overwhelming, doesn't it? it? Absolutely. And then... It, it's difficult to achieve anything. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. I think that all ties in with what you said about the importance of having a routine, but also having that space where you might work for an hour and a half, but then you move out of that space, you move out of that zone of of feeling that, mm. particularly if you're working from home, mm. that yeah, your living space is your working space as well. Mm. You know, if, you, if you've said to yourself, I'm going to give 85% and not 100, I'm going to give myself exam conditions to work to work on this mm. i'm not gonna keep tinkering with it and keep tinkering with it i think that helps mm. draw the divisions there but do you, do you think there then that desire to have perfection do you think that comes a lot from social media and the fact that every what everybody else is doing is immediately visible and available and i certainly uh, end up comparing myself to other people you know podcasts for instance i look at other people's podcasts have they got twelve thousand followers you know have they have they done this have i done Mm. that and i don't i end up not judging myself on the quality of the thing i've produced but on how successful Mm. everyone else is i've found that you know perfectionism can often come from people's childhood experiences of of expectations being you know particularly high and you know you will achieve and you know it's expected of you that you you of course you're gonna Mm. do well in your exams of Mm. of course you're gonna go to university Mm. of course you're gonna do that because that's what's expected and Mm. and maybe some people that that don't have a huge amount of praise from you know childhood you you know that they're not told you know well done and didn't you do well even for the little things in life not about the exam grades 
you know, it, it can it can sort of really impact on people's men, mental health as they're growing up. And, and obviously, whatever's impacted on your mental health while you're growing up, you take into your adulthood yeah, as well. it stays with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that to a certain point. Um, I know of people who, for instance, when they were growing up, they got an A and the parents said, well, why didn't you get an A star? So mm. in one hand. But I think um, I think it's... For, on the other hand, that a lot of young people, they they have aspirations for themselves, and feel that they need to achieve one hundred percent of whatever that thing is that they're doing, and um, they they need they compare themselves to say they're doing, I don't know, comics or something like mm. that. They're comparing themselves to somebody who's doing comics for twenty years. And they've only been doing it for two and a half at university or three. So it, it's it, mm. it's the comparison against people who have much more experience and stuff yeah. like that and, and a greater skill because they've been doing it for so long. Yeah. Hi there. Chris here, host of A Couple of Drips. If you'd like to help support the production of the show and buy the coffee we try, then you can either buy us a one-off thank you coffee at coffee.com that's ko-fi.com or if you'd like to become a member and give us regular support then click on the support button in your player cheers for listening and on with the show so tanya uh, one of the things i've got on my list here is self-care do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah sure um I think sometimes people think self-care is is just sort of making sure you have a, a bath, brush your teeth and all the rest of it. Mm. But it's slightly more than that. Um, for years we've been told you are what you eat. And I really do believe that, that nutritionally, if we have a reasonable diet and it's sort of quite balanced, I'm not saying don't eat cakes or anything like that, but 80-20 or the vegetables and stuff, that will really help you feel better. Also engaging in things that you like doing. So for me, I love gardening. Mm. And part of my self-care is to get out in the garden and pull up weeds and get my fingernails dirty and, and just do things like that. Um, and, and, and engage in things that you as an individual enjoy doing. Uh, for the young people that I, I work with, um, a lot of them are into sort of computer games. And I'll say, you know, pick a game that you really like and play it for half an hour at the end of the day just to disengage from what's been going on around you. Mm. And it's, it's looking after you and taking responsibility for you because you're the only person that's really going to look after you. Mm. I think what I um, experienced in terms of my own self-care as a result of the pandemic was because we'd gone from a situation where I was usually really busy at the weekend doing things that mm. I loved and enjoyed doing, um, you know, sociable things, um, to going to doing none of that for quite a long period of time because of the pandemic. Obviously, that was a big contrast. But actually, it was really eye-opening for me because I realised that I enjoyed doing nothing sometimes and I felt like it had taken the pressure off me in some ways that mm -hmm. I didn't have to do too much I didn't mm -hmm. have to see these people I didn't have to do this I didn't have to and I absolutely loved it so now 
when things have, have reopened and we can do pretty much everything that we want to do again, can't we? I'm really, really mindful about not overcommitting to things mm-hmm. to protect my own mental health. Being because, willing to say no to people. Yeah, so, you know... Whereas, and not having to make an excuse just yeah, to say, no. I don't want to. You know, I, I might have had a scenario where I might have been doing something on a Friday evening and then maybe on the Saturday I was going out for a walk with my husband or doing something with my daughter and and then possibly even doing something on the Saturday night and then maybe seeing family on the Sunday. And looking back at that now, it that all feels too much. So, you know, spreading things out a little bit more, having a bit of downtime, you know, a, a day or an evening when... There is nothing in the diary is really good for my self-care mm. and for my mm. mental health. I agree, and I think as well, uh, music. Music's a really good thing to help lift people's spirits or um, just sort of get get them moving around, you know, dance around the kitchen or, or just to listen and just, just focus in on something that is that it's auditory and you don't mm. have to do anything other than just, just listen. Mm. Mm. As a self-confessed introvert, I can, um, although I can come across as an extrovert, but it's very much something I learned when I was teaching to put on this facade, this this face. Um, you know, being in social situations is fine for me, but afterwards you have to come away from that and recharge. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, so as you said, Hattie, that downtime um, in, you know, to put that in the diary, so a day where I'm gonna just be by myself or mm. be quiet whatever mm. is is incredibly important mm. to me you know mm. it's being comfortable in your own skin mm. i think it, yeah that's important it's i think it's absolutely essential i think you know going back to sort of anxiety and 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 depression you know if we can feel authentic in ourselves and comfortable in our own skins mm-hmm that is a really good route to feeling content mm-hmm. and okay with life. Um, so, yeah, being able to, like Chris has des- described, have a few hours on your own and be perfectly happy with that, yeah. mm-hmm. it is a really positive thing to do. We, we don't need to have 20 friends in our life. You know, you, your closest mm-hmm. friends are probably, yeah. you can probably count them on one hand and mm-hmm. that's that's enough. Yeah. I th- I think for me, the the thing that they say that an extrovert is charged up by being around people and, you know, when, when, when an extrovert is around people, you know, they're, they're buzzing and they, mm. they're on a high from it. And an introvert can be around people and can appear as an extrovert, but then when they come away from that, it's like... Oh, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah, I'm the know. same. I, yeah. I would, I think my mum always described me as being an extroverted introvert. You yeah. know, and and yeah, yeah, it's things can be very exhausting. Just yeah. just a handful of hours yeah. <laughs> in a yeah. social situation can yeah. be very very draining. And yeah. I don't think I recognised that until the pandemic, mm. when it caused a sort of natural break. Um, that I wasn't able to do all those things. And then yeah. suddenly being able to go back to doing them, yeah. I realised how shattering some of them yeah. were. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I yeah. can definitely identify with that. Yeah. A um, couple of other things I've got written down here. Uh, fight, flight, freeze. Does anyone want to pick up on that one? Or? I mentioned it, but I wasn't sure if you... Okay, it's, this is quite an interesting one because... Um, 
I deal obviously with young people. Well, I deal with younger, younger and old people. But um, I use an example without giving any names out. Uh, one young person I um, deal with has PTSD, anxiety and depression. And their way of their coping strategy is the fight strategy, but it's not physical fighting, it's verbalizing and, and sort of shouting and getting louder because because inside they're absolutely terrified and they don't know what to do with themselves. Um, and the, the so that that's that one. The, the freeze one, again, we come across this a lot within um, the university setting. There is an assignment due. It has to happen, and it has to be submitted by a certain date. And and it's like, oh my goodness, I can't do it. I can't do it. So they're freezing. And um, the, the 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 flight thing is, they just run away from the whole thing and pretend it doesn't happen, mm-hmm. and become completely debilitated by it. So it's sort of sort of finding a way of moving past mm. all of that. And they can often be responses to trauma, can't exactly, they? Exactly, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you think of it in the context of, say, an animal in a in a stressful situation, mm-hmm. you know, there's a there's a poacher out there yeah. hunting hunting the animal down, you know, well what do they do? They either bolt, mm-hmm. they run, they fly, they flee. Yeah. Or they freeze, you know, you've yeah. seen deer, haven't you? Sort of like Faint- you know, in, in the in the headlights, you know, frozen fainting with, goats. with fear. Or, you know, animals play dead, don't they? Yeah. And you, and you see that you see that with humans as well when they're, yeah. you know, being attacked or, you know, trying to be um trying to be killed, you know, play dead because then someone might think you're dead and leave you leave mm-hmm. you alone. Uh, they're survival instincts, aren't they? Yeah. And I think a lot of the time what happens with all the fight, fight, freeze. Suddenly, the adrenaline kicks in, and that's what gives them the momentum to push forward. So they have the adrenaline rush, and they get what they need to have done. And then afterwards, they feel completely wiped out, really unwell, and they'll either plummet down, and or they have to do another assignment or something else. And it's hard, really hard. And, so, and some people, when they've been experiencing living like that for yeah. a long period of time. You know, they're they're essentially living in in the red alert zone, yeah. aren't they, all the time? And and that that can be very damaging, you oh, know, yes. because it's exhausting, it's draining, you you're constantly, you know, fearful of mm. of something it, which may be very innocent. So it, it's trying to find ways of of being bringing them back out of that red alert zone into a you know, everyone has um you know, it, it's normal to have some level of stress in your life, isn't it? You oh, know, yeah. it, it, you know, we wouldn't be human if we didn't. So it's it protects us from danger, doesn't it? To mm. to be alert to things, but to constantly live in that way can be very damaging for people's mental health. Absolutely, absolutely. And and one of the things that we haven't said, and and I would like to say is that you know. If you're not feeling great, it is okay not to feel great. It's okay mm. not to be okay. And I think mm. a lot of people, that they're a bit worried that they have to show this strong exterior, particularly men, actually, mm. that, you know, that I am the hunter-gatherer and I'm going to be strong and mm. I'm going to look after my family and do this, that and the other. And, you know, it is okay to say, actually, I'm having a really bad day and I don't yeah. feel good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And do you think a lot of those, I mean, one of the, the topics I've got down here is media triggers. Do you think a lot of those 
kind of <sighs> pressures to fit in and kind of be okay and be normal or be better than normal, be outstanding. He's coming from social media and, and television media. and I think so, definitely. I think if you see somebody on Instagram or, or one of the other forums that, that is looking gorgeous and is successful and does this, that and the other... I mean, phones apparently have filters. I don't know how to use them, but they have filters and they mm -hmm. can make you look better um, than you are. Um, but also, if you if you see somebody else's success, I've done this, I've done that, this is great in my life. Mm. They're not showing you what's not great in their life. You're no. seeing a 20-second snapshot. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. you know, they could, be, they, they could have, um, say, for instance, it's a young mother or something. They, they're not going to tell you that the baby's kept them up for half the night mm. screaming because it's got colic or that the husband's run off with a nanny or something like that. They're not going to say that. They're going to mm. say, my life is wonderful, because mm. people don't like to hear about bad things, really, do they, on things like social media. Yeah, yeah and that, that's certainly the, the danger, isn't it? You only see that little snapshot of the best, the most yeah. polished. The, perfect the, life. Yeah, per yeah, perfect life. And, you know, people will look at that and think, hmm, why is my, not like, my life not like that? But it isn't that mm. person's life. It's not a true representation mm. of that person's yeah. life. Right. They might have spent the whole day leading up to that photograph, yeah. Yeah. hiding under the duvet, being fearful yeah. of leaving the house. You, mm. you just don't know, do you? Yeah. Mm. Another thing I've noticed is that the um, obviously the phones have sort of a newsreel and stuff like that. And um, quite a few people that I'm talking to, they're, they're sort of saying, Mom, I'm looking at the other guy, it's going to get expensive to live, I'm not going to be able to afford to eat, I'm not going to be able to afford to do anything, and there's a war here, there's this happening, there's that happening. And I'm like, disengage, mm. do not look. Mm. Well, it comes on my phone. You don't have to look at it. Mm. You don't have to. Take the notifications off. Yes. You don't Certainly have to I be alert to everything. Yeah, yeah, with the threats of the, you know, energy price increases mm. and yeah. everything in the kit, it's all doom and gloom, you know, it's going to be £5,000 per household, you know, mm. per year, and... Things like that. I mean, mm. that's a lot of money for young people on mm. basic, basic wage. Mm. Um, well, ladies, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having. Just before we go, there's a couple of mental health charities and mental health organisations that we're going to mention. Um, Hattie, do you want to tell us about um, uh, Man Time? Yes, I just noticed um, the other day on a little bit of Stone's website or Facebook page that. They'd mentioned a stone men's social well-being group called Man Time. Um, it, I think it's probably been going for a little while um, over the last few months, but it's moving to Granville's in September. Okay. So, you know, any men that are looking for a bit of a, you know, opportunity to have a chat, meet with others. Yeah. You know, it's not a mental health support group, I don't think. It's just a, you know, if you're feeling isolated yeah. and you, you want to catch up with other people, brilliant. there's an opportunity I'll there. I'll put a link in the episode blurb to that. That's brilliant. Uh, Tanya, what men's net? Okay, I, there's, there is an organisation called Men's Net, which is an, in, uh, I think it's a national thing. Um, but I do know that, and I can't remember the name of it, that there is... An, uh, a, a men's group that meets on a Monday evening at Stafford Rugby Club. But also what I was going to say is that for anybody, local wellbeing services, you can refer yourselves. You mm -hmm. don't have to go through the doctor. Yeah. So oh, right. you can self-refer to, to yeah. any local wellbeing oh, service. It might be a little bit of a wait, 
but you can do it yourself yeah. if, you, if you don't feel comfortable yeah. going through Well, the definitely doctor. in the episode description, wherever you get your podcast, mm. we'll put some some useful mm-hmm. mental health links in there. I think um, Mind as well in North Staffs, they have an online group specifically for men as well, which I think ah, is really okay. successful. So I think it went online during the pandemic, but oh. they've continued. Yeah. Um, and I think that's got some really good engagement with, with men locally and, and w- further afield as yeah. well. I, I also think a lot of organisations now are becoming very aware of the need to support staff. And mm. um, so within any organisation, there might be a mental health um, advocate um, yeah. or um, somebody who is there to talk to or direct accordingly, or they might have a service themselves which they mm-hmm. utilise. Yeah, that's definitely increasing. We had Lee Smith on the, on the men's episode and... He was talking about, well, he's in fact now the mental health leader at his organisation mm-hmm. and they're, they're down in Bristol, but they're mm. very kind of forward thinking. Now. Yeah. I think firms are becoming gladly increasingly aware of it. So yeah. they may be, may be able to uh, have someone to talk to at the organisation yeah. you work yeah. for. But we'll certainly put in the in the episode description some links to... to mm local and national mental health services depending on where you're listening from some organizations have got mental health first aiders as well so people that have had some training and are identified people probably people that have got an interest in mental health yeah and you know a a sort of keen to support other people um that's interesting i've not heard of that often bigger organizations you know for instance the nhs um would have them so you know there may be a, a number of people in your organisation if you if you work there that maybe you could pick up the phone to yeah. and have a chat or arrange to meet for a, a coffee. Yeah. Um, Don't be afraid to reach out. That's yeah. basically. And I would urge anybody who is feeling low or or anxious or just not themselves, there is always somebody out there that will listen. Mm. Always. Yeah. And the Samaritans is a, a perfect example. Yeah. You know, it's twenty four seven. If people are having a rough day a rough hour, you know, there will always be someone on the end of the line yeah. To, yeah. to talk to if, if you're feeling that you're really struggling. Yeah. And Papyrus is a similar organisation yeah. as well. And mm-hmm. it, it, the, the Samaritans as well, you, you know, it doesn't just have to be extreme things. You could just talk about, you know, feeling sad or feeling hopeless. Yeah. It's yeah. not... People think, you know, you see... <sighs> sounds awful but like if you go Clifton Suspension Bridge there are phones all the way along the bridge to the Samaritans and you immediately associate it with suicidal thoughts but it's not just for that Mm. you you just need someone to talk to there are lots of services out there so do reach out for help but we'll put lots of links in the description well ladies thank you both for coming it's been an absolute pleasure and I think we've touched on some really interesting and not always easy topics, but uh, I've enjoyed it. And hopefully uh, anyone listening has got something out of it. Um, this will go out on World Mental Health Day, which I think is 10th of October. So um, listen out for that. But thank you very much both for joining me. And I hope you'll come on podcasts again. Maybe maybe we'll do a mental health follow-up, but maybe also uh, we'll do a regular podcast together yeah. as well. So oh, we thank you. We could have a tea day. We could have a tea day. We can convert um, you. Okay. <laughs> I'll think about it. Yeah, I could be persuaded. We could do a couple, a couple of special. drips, tea special. Yeah, def, definitely. Yeah, called a couple of pots. Yes, yeah, yeah, brilliant. That's been brilliant. Thank you, thank, thank you, but thank you very much, both of you.
listening to A Couple of Drips. The show was conceived and presented by Chris Granger and is a Cup the Mic production. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, Chris here. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support the production of future episodes, then subscriptions are available. Simply click on the support button in the episode description. See you next time.